Genesis chapter 32. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 21. Jacob has seen the angels sent by God to comfort him. Because Jacob is, he's greatly afraid. It says he's distressed at going back home uh, to face Esau again. And then he gets word that Esau is traveling towards him and he's got 400 men with him. That's more than a greeting party, by the way. When you've got 400 men and it was like a small army is coming to meet Jacob. But Jacob, he can't turn back now. He's been told by God to go back to Canaan. He has left Padan Aram. He's left Laban. They've made their little covenant, their treaty. And now Jacob must go on towards the south. But he does so, he does this with trepidation. And so Jacob, he begins to send gifts ahead of himself to Esau. He sends oxen and he sends donkeys. He sends flocks. He even sends human servants. All in a desperate attempt to gain his brother's approval. Jacob has seen the angels that God sent, but he's lost sight of the fact that God is with him and God will watch over him and take care of him. And God is working in Jacob's life to bring him to an end of his struggles. His struggles about being governed by God. Jacob, he desperately needs to just relax, enjoy God's blessings, and isn't that a good word for all of us? How many of you think we live in troubled times now? <laughs> so to you, I say relax and enjoy God's blessings. God is for us. He will watch over us. He will take care of us. But Jacob, he's, he's the kind of guy that he doesn't leave any stone unturned. If there's anything he thinks he can do to make things better, he will do it. He strives. He connives. He plots. He plans. But all of his maneuvering, all of his striving, is because Jacob does not allow God to rule and reign in his life. And Jacob has yet to learn that God is for him. Not just Isaac, his dad, and not just his granddad, Abraham, but God is for Jacob. And if there could be some kind of poll where we would ask fellow believers, how many of you truly believe that God is for you? I wonder what that poll would show. Have you ever met someone who's waiting for that next shoe to drop? They're waiting for God to judge them over some past sin or behavior in their life. And as a result, they have no peace. And they simply are awaiting their judgment. Well, that can lead into a person being extremely legalistic. 
And that's trying to then please God with my stringent behavior. And that person's, their personal do not list far outnumbers their do list. There's so many things that they forbid themselves trying to please God. I was raised in a denomination where if it was fun, it was probably a sin. You just didn't want to have fun as a Christian. (laughs) Movies were forbidden uh, in our denomination. You know, they were just uh, things you didn't go to. And I, I remember the first movie that I ever went to see with my mom in a theater was The Ten Commandments. And all of a sudden, movies were okay. <laughs> you know, we went and saw the Ten Commandments. So I say thank you to Charleston Heston. He, he turned things around in our family. But you know, rock and roll music? <laughs> that was the devil's music. <laughs> you know, hot rod cars? They were a thing of the world. And Chuck Smith, he tells us uh, about when he was a young man that he had his eye on a 32 Ford Coupe hot rod. And he began to pray for this car, that the Lord would allow him to have it. And he began to promise God that he would take kids to church in his car if God would give him this car. I know where Chuck's coming from. That's the way I was raised. But Jacob, he's headed for a showdown with God. We might call it the great wrestling match. But I'm, but I'm ahead of myself. So let's read Genesis 32, 8 through 21. And Jacob said, If Esau comes to one of the company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I have crossed the Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother of the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendant as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. Two hundred female goats, twenty male goats, two hundred ewes, and twenty rams, thirty milk camels, I don't know if I'd want to drink milk from a camel. 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, Pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent by my, to my lord Esau, and behold, he is also behind us. 
So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the row, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the presence that goes before me, and afterwards I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the presence went on before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. Verse 9, we have Jacob and we have him praying. And he prays to the God of his father, Abraham, and to the God of his own present father, Isaac. Jacob is not praying to his Lord and to his God, but he's praying to daddy's God. Jacob is only 95 years old when he's doing this. And he's still praying to his father's God. Personal opinion here. A young person doesn't become an adult necessarily at 18 or 21 or anything like this. I believe a young person is years, I know I was, coming into his own spiritual maturity as to who God is for himself. Jacob, he's 95 and he's still praying to the God of Isaac and the God of Abraham. Many people have difficulty accepting God up close, up close and personal. And it can take years for them to come into a relationship where they realize that God is their God. And you can see this and understand this by the way they pray sometimes. Does a person pray to saints or even perhaps Mary to make intercession for them? Or do they pray directly to God? Jacob speaks of dad and granddad in his prayers. And there can be this assumption, I am not worthy or in a position to call upon God for myself. And Satan would love to keep us there. Satan would love to keep us with an impersonal God. The disciples, good Jewish boys, they knew the Ten Commandments, they know the Shema, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But they also knew the Ten Commandments. And they knew the commandments that they were to have no other gods before the living God. And so they go to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. It's interesting, a little bit interesting anyway, that Jesus didn't tell them how not to pray. He didn't say, pray like the Jewish leaders around you. Pray like the priest in the temple. No, he didn't say that. In fact, Jesus even used the scribes and the Pharisees as an example of prayer. And he talks about two who went up to the temple at the time of prayer. And we'll get into that in just a second. But the Pharisees and the scribes and the Jewish leaders, uh, when the time of prayer came, 
they would always try to be in a conspicuous place. They'd try to be in a public place. They wanted others to see them praying. Uh, and they would, you know, be out there talking to somebody, oops, it's time to pray, and here I am on the street corner with a, a mob around me. I think I'll just hang out here and pray here in the public spot. But they look to be seen praying. Jesus did tell a Pharisee uh, and spoke of a Pharisee and a tax collector who went up to the temple to pray. And that's in Luke 10, or Luke 18, rather, 10 through 14. Let me read it's just uh, uh, five verses here. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus contrasts two, two men that have went up to pray. The Pharisees, they were the strict religious leaders of the day, and he says, of the Pharisee, thus he prayed within himself. That is sad when that comes from the lips of Jesus. When God looks upon your prayer as you praying within yourself, that's not a good thing. The tax collector, he humbly uh, prays, he goes home justified, not the religious leader. The Pharisee, he is given thanks to God for his superiority over others. He's not an extortioner. Well, that's good. He's not unjust. He's not an adulterer. And for sure, he is not like that tax collector that's over there praying also. And then he reminds God of how good he is. I fast twice a week and give tithes of all that I possess. The tax collector, he can't even look up when he prays. He can't even lift his eyes to heaven. But it, Jesus says the tax collector went home justified. He beats his breast as a sign of dismay, a sign of sorrow. And what a difference. God sees us when we pray. And so how do we approach God? I think it's vital to understand when you pray, who you are praying to. You're praying to God. And sometimes a public prayer can be a little dicey because we want to sound all spiritual when we pray. And sometimes we're not real honest when we pray a public prayer. The arrogance of the Pharisee in this 
in his praying, it's astounding. He boasts to God how good he is. Wow. <laughs> Does that ever grab you? I'm not trying to tell God how good I am, ever. <laughs> <clears throat> How does that come home? I desire your prayers as a people, as your pastor, but please do not tell God how good I am, okay? Don't do that. Uh, some people, they tend to get real what I call flowery in their prayers, and they tell God what a humble person this person is or how they love the Lord with all their heart. When and if you pray for me, just ask God to help me. <laughs> you know, that's all I want you to do. Just ask him to, you know, Don needs your help, Lord. That's fine. I, I, I can go with that. But Jesus, he had a lot to say about prayer. So if you will, turn to Matthew chapter 6. In the first four, voice, four, four, four verses... Of chapter 6, Jesus speaks of doing good deeds privately so that God himself can reward you openly. Then Jesus will turn and he will teach on prayer. And he will even go as so far as to tell his disciples how to address God the Father. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand, uh, love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. We are not to pray like hypocrites. A hypocrite was another word in the Greek, for an actor. Don't be an actor when you pray or don't make pretense prayers that others might think sound good. A hypocrite is someone who gives the appearance of being one thing, but he lives another. Hypocrites have a universal distinction of being scorned by almost everyone. <laughs> And here's the bad thing. Sometimes we Christians are accused of being hypocrites. Why would the world accuse us of being hypocrites? Well, most of us are not perfect. And the people around us, they see our flaws. But any Christian, he goes to church and he tries to live a righteous life and he slips, he falls, he makes mistakes, and oftentimes we're then labeled a hypocrite. And that can be a totally unfair criticism. I don't think there's anything worse 
than the world for his producing hypocrites. Ask that friend that would be critical of you, what do you believe in and do you live up to it? Uh, they don't want to talk about that. They just want to talk about Christians usually. But I do my best to be authentic. I try to be real. I try to be what you see, you get. And I dislike hypocrites. I dislike it in myself when I'm hypocritical. But to be called a hypocrite by someone in the world, that is insulting. It really is. In Matthew chapter 23, seven times Jesus pronounces woes upon the scribes and the Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites. Jesus didn't have very much good to say about the scribes and the Pharisees. But back to Jesus' teaching on prayer. A hypocrite draws attention to himself when praying. And they do that to appear righteous. In Matthew uh, 6, verse 5 there, Jesus tells us openly, do not be like the hypocrites who pray in public to be seen of men. And here's something to notice. Those who pray in that way to draw attention to themselves, they have their reward. Reward? We know charitable deeds have rewards, but prayer also has rewards. Let me repeat that. Prayer has rewards. Payment of service is what that rewards mean. Prayers have payment of services because we're told to pray. Prayer is obedience to the Lord. Prayer is a responsibility of believers. Paul tells us, Pray without ceasing. Our scripture reading this morning, Jesus said, pray always. Prayer in and apart from answers to prayer has rewards. Let me repeat that. Prayer in and apart from the answer to prayer has rewards. To pray is simply to be obedient to the Lord. And all prayer is, is aligning my will with the will of God. That's all prayer is. Just getting myself in line with what God's wanting to do. Prayer is the most powerful thing any believer can do. We hear people say, well, if nothing else, I'll pray for you. No, no, no. Make that first on the list. Pray for me first, then do all your other things. And sometimes we look at prayer as a last resort when it should be our first resort. We are allowed, we are commanded to pray to God, the creator of this world, who is our creator. He made us. And you've heard it, and I've heard it. And we hear things like, I believe in the power of prayer. I do too. 
if you're praying to the living God. <laughs> it's not my prayer that has power. It's who I'm praying to that has power. In verse 6, it says, pray privately where God can answer you openly. We've made a little area here in the back that we call our little prayer closet. We've rearranged some bookcases. <laughs> Take advantage of that. There will be people that will agree with you in prayer. We need to be a people of prayer. For the Lord tells us, your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. Or give you payment for being obedient to pray. I've never thought about that a whole lot, that there is a reward for simply praying. Apart from the answer to prayers. But in verse 7, we're told, do not use vain repetitions. And then Jesus says, as the heathens do. I, I like the Buddhist religion in this regard. They have simplified vain repetitions. They have what they call prayer wheels. And it's a little wheel on a suspended string. And every time that wheel circulates, it's a prayer going up to heaven. So they just spin it. You want me to pray for you again? <laughs> and they spin the prayer wheel. And it's many prayers going up, supposedly, to God. There are some religious leaders who will recommend multiple prayers saying, pray ten Our Fathers, or throw in a few Hail Marys there too. And Jesus clearly says, do not use vain repetitions. Meaning, and the meaning of that is stammerings. Do not just be rotely saying things. Don't be stammering before God. And we're to never think by the use of many words that we have God's ear. Because it's not how often you say something to God, it's the sincerity of heart. There was a time when the disciples were out on the boat on uh, the Sea of Galilee and Jesus came walking to them on the water. The disciples, you know, this is frightening to them. And Peter calls out, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. Come, Peter. <laughs> and Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water. But then Peter begins to look around, see where he is. The wind and the waves are blowing. And Peter begins to sink. And Peter, at that moment, scraps all the majestic prayer words that he ever may had. And he prays, Lord, save me. There's a, there's a quick, direct prayer. Lord, save me. And Jesus does. Jesus hears him and saves him. 
Peter didn't have time to get into vain repetitions or long introductions to prayer. You ever heard somebody begin a prayer, oh, most graciously, Heavenly Father, and you go, oh, well, this should be good. <laughs> you know, Peter simply says, Lord, save me. And Jesus does. Back to Jesus' teaching on prayer. In verse 8 of Matthew 6, and I really like this verse. Jesus says, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. Isn't that great? That's the only way that groanings can make sense to me. God knows what I need before I ask. Romans tells us that uh, we make groanings that cannot be uttered. And so can you groan? If you can groan, you can pray. Sometimes we're just so tore up with a situation, so desperate for God, words just kind of escape us and we can just moan and groan and God hears those moanings and groanings. It's a comfort to know the Lord knows what we need before we ask. That shows compassion. He knows what we need before we ask. Jesus goes on with the disciples. The same prayer that we've been talking about in Matthew 6 here, which is the called the Our Father prayer. It's also recorded in Luke. But in Luke, Jesus is more definite. He's more clear when he tells the disciples, when you pray... Say Jesus even goes so far as to tell them exactly what to say when they pray. Now, we, we don't oftentimes do corporate prayer where everybody prays the same prayer, but I want us to do it this morning. So if I can get you to stand, we're going to do the Our Father prayer. And that's in Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. I'll start out, and you jump in there with me. You all know it. <laughs> Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. A beautiful example of prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.